have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 25. Um, go to Matthew 25, and uh, we will be hanging out there today. We're in a series called, your King, uh, is called, called Kingdom Come. And uh, we've been talking about uh, just the realities of God's kingdom, making, them, uh, making their way to the surface of our life so that we can see uh, him change and shape us and, and move us ultimately see a new life happen in the midst of all that we, uh, all the, all that we see here. Um, two, it's really easy to uh, come to church when your football team wins six times. Um, that's, that's good. All right. Anyway, put, put all that carnal stuff away now. Anyway, so Matthew 25, we are uh, going to be hanging out there today. And uh, we're in a series, going to be the last kind of installment for, uh, for this series um, uh, here as we have the next couple weeks where we shift to get ready for Lent coming up. Uh, but but really, we're talking about God's kingdom, and, and the, rea- the, the fact is the reality of God's kingdom is not uh, to be perceived outside of us. Um, we see its results outside of us, but the reality of God's kingdom is experienced within us. And so we've been talking about that the last number of weeks, that the, we can't, it's not the, 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 the experience, the reality of God's kingdom is not supposed to be ex- perceived outside, but experienced uh, within and a lot of this comes, the reason why we kind of stumble on this understanding is many times we bring our own sort of preconceptions to this concept of the kingdom of God. We bring uh, sort of our own kind of backpacks full of our previous experiences or previous learnings or maybe uh, no learnings to, uh, its, uh, to, the, to this understanding. And we, we kind of come from a couple different camps. The first one we come from is this understanding where we, where we go to heaven when we die. And that's kind of, we kind of wait, we got to wait through this thing called life. And, and when we die, we'll get to experience the joys of heaven. Really encouraging for this life now, right? Really, we got to be here for 80 plus years and we just got to, got to hold on tight. And uh, one day we'll get to experience the kingdom. That's very encouraging this morning. Um, and then, but then another way that sometimes we can see this is that somehow we just got to bring heaven down here. And if we work really hard, if we do the things that we're supposed to do, um, then, then we will be approved of, we'll see God's kingdom come, we'll see the structures change around outside of us, and we just really need to work real hard to bring it down. And both of those, I don't think, are, are really what Jesus is trying to teach when he announces that the kingdom of God has come. When, they, when he says the kingdom of God is in our midst, that it's within you, when he announces that, he's trying to teach this sort of a concept here, that, that heaven is the place where God is, earth is the place where we are, and when Jesus died and resurrected, he really began putting the two worlds back together again. His original intention for us was to experience life the way that he intended it to be experienced, but sin broke it, separated everything, and through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he's putting it back together. Uh, but we don't have to look real hard to realize that, that what we experience in this life is really not what God intended for us to experience. First Corinthians actually will teach it this way, where uh, if you go to that next slide there. Um, yeah, go to the next one. Sorry. Um, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me 
completely. So there's this, this, this way to experience life, the, the way that, that, that Paul teaches this life, uh, the experience of the life that we're in right now, is that it's in a glass kind of dimly. That we can, we, we're kind of looking at puzzle. We can't really make out what we're noticing in the mirror. And so you, you see all this, this stuff happening. We can experience the reality of God's kingdom, but it's not fully realized yet. It's what we call the already, but the not yet. Really complex theological terms sometimes we use. Right? It's this already understanding. Like we can experience this, but it's not fully realized yet. We're looking through a glass that's kind of fogged over and trying to see on the other side. And so the reality of God's kingdom, though, is that we can begin to realize these things now. So now if you go back to that last slide that we skipped over, the the invitation that God is inviting us um, into is to live a whole new way of life right here in the midst of this one. So this understanding is is not that just a, you know, one day soon we'll get to experience all of this. And it's not you in a different set of circumstances, but you right now. You can experience a whole new way of life right now. A lot of times in our culture, we, you know, they say, new year, new you. So if you just manage your money differently, you lose some weight or whatever, oh, you'll feel brand new. The way to experience true peace, true wholeness is being transformed by Jesus. And then when you exp- experience this transformation, you'll, really, you'll be able to do all of the same things that you do in life, but it'll feel completely brand new. This kingdom is his invitation to you today. And so the, the, what type of kingdom is he inviting you into is a graceful one. It's one where you can live from a place of love and grace. It's this understanding that God doesn't just love you, but he likes you. Sometimes we struggle with that as humans. Like God loves me because he has to, because he's God, right? But no, in fact, God doesn't just love you. He likes you. Like He wants to be with you. He's choosing to walk through this whole thing called life with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He's, and that, when you can live from that place where you're not striving for approval or striving for his attention, you will actually live a much fuller life than perhaps you're living right now. Um, there's a practical reality to this kingdom. He's inviting you to not live life measured by what you own, but by who you honor. So it doesn't really, it, this has no barriers for, for socioeconomics, for race, for gender. This all comes in a reality that when we honor God first, that he will in fact begin to repair us and, and restore us and heal us. And then there's this prayerful reality to this kingdom that we can live in a place of deep and personal relationship with God. It just, this will allow us just to live in a restful state. We're not just trying to vie for his attention, but he loves us. He wants to be in relationship with us. It can drastically change everything about the way that you experience life. Last week we talked about it's a serving kingdom where he's inviting us to not only live life with him, but to participate in his activity on earth. As he's working, he's inviting us to participate in this kingdom with him. And then today we're going to hang out on this idea that the kingdom is imminent, meaning it's, it's, it's meant to return. We have this hopeful anticipation for Jesus to return here. So, we li- so his invitation is to live well in the tension between his resurrection and his return. That's where we're going to hang out. This invitation that God is asking us. God says we can live well while we wait for his return um, after his resurrection changed everything. And so this is where we're going to hang out today. Matthew 25 uh, is where we're going to be uh, in this invitation to live well. So grab your Bibles if you're there already, or you can look, on, look out on your phone, or you can listen along as well. Matthew 25 says this, then the kingdom of heaven will be, will be like 10 bridesmaids. Real quick, 
time out. Um, and if you're new today, you're like, really, already? Come on. Um, the kingdom of heaven will be like. All the other parables that we talked about over the last few weeks, the kingdom of heaven is like. This one is future. This one's, this will, you will experience this one. The kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. They needed a federal hill in the area. But the other five were wise enough to take extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for, your, for you do not know the delay, the day or the hour of my return. And so three things today on how to live well in the tension between God's res- Jesus's resurrection and his return. The first one is you live well through joyful anticipation. This whole parable is centered on a delay. It's, it's this moment of like God is present, right? The, the whole focus of this entire parable is that God is, is here, but he's not fully, he's not here yet. Like, is it, there's, just, there's just God's presence, but then there's some sort of an absence, and the absence is creating this type of, uh, of, of, of anticipation. It's creating this, this hopeful you know, thought, like we got to look out for something. And, and he's using the language of a marriage. So what would have happened in the first century is when, when, a, when a groom wanted to ask his fiance to marry him, he would raise up a wine glass to them and he would say, you know, will you marry me? And if, if the, the bride says yes, the, it's showtime. And so what happens from there is the, the groom would go back and would begin preparing a place on his father's house. And so this was called the Jewish insula, if, you, if you're familiar with that culture at all. Um, he, the, many times the houses were, were constructed in circles around a, a courtyard of some sort, and they would consistently build how, uh, little rooms onto the house. And so it was very common for uncles and aunts and you know, grandparents, everyone to kind of live very close. And so he would go and, and build this house. And in fact, Jesus, he uses this language in John 14 when he says, uh, I will go and prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms, right? We know this verse. We, 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 you know, we find great hope in that, John 14. And so he says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. You don't know when I come back, but I will come back and I will get you. 
And while I'm gone, I'm going to send a comforter to you, the advocate who will advocate on your behalf, right? We love that part of the story. And so he's using this language here to really acknowledge that. And so one day when the bridegroom gets, you know, finishes that room, he's going to come back for his bride. And this was like a party. Man, they, they partied hard. Like they, they, they would, the, the groom would be coming back and he would get all of his buddies and they'd be marching through the village. And the villages were only small at this time. So everyone would have known the groom is ready for his bride. And, and, and so people would just hear the celebration and they just would join in. At this point, when we, at this, in, in our time now, when we drive by a, a wedding, what do we typically do? We, we honk a horn, we wave a hand, right? When, and we're like, oh, we love watching, you know, the, the groom and the bride taking pictures outside. Um, we, we got a little church in, in Cumberland where we live uh, that we see it all the time right on the street. We're like, honk the horn. At that time, you just would like pull over and join the party, right? Like that's how you would, that's how you would celebrate alongside. Like how awkward is that, right? Like, hey, who are you? Uh, I'm just here, just celebrating with you. I'm so excited about it. Like, please get out of here. Uh, this is awkward. Um, and, and, uh, and so what they would do, everyone would just join in. It'd be this big party with lots of noise and everyone's beginning to, to, and then they would come back for the groom and it would launch a multiple day celebration, sometimes a couple days, sometimes maybe as long as a week where they just would celebrate and celebrate the marriage of the two. So baked into this, into the DNA of this parable is this joyful anticipation. They, they deeply believed that God was gonna come back and restore all things back to the way he wanted and originally intended the world to be. And they just are sitting there waiting for him to come back. And he know it's going to happen. And they're just looking and longing for that. And so baked into this, this the parable is this DNA, this, this hopeful, joyful anticipation that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, that they will, in fact, one day be restored. He's coming back for his Bride. And so I've been trying to figure out ways to illustrate this this week. And I was like, you know, I, I want to go deeply theological for you and really make sure that you understand, uh, you know, what the emotion was for this and, and understand it. So I, I, I want to show you this in a quick video here for real fast. When I met you on the outskirts of town, and I said, only you save me. I've been feeling so alone. I keep waiting for you, but you never come. It's Oh, good. Oh, the theology of Taylor Swift, right? Need to know something about it? Need to watch some Taylor Swift videos. Um, no, but that's, that's what it's like. This, this hopeful anticipation that this one day the two are going to be put together, the joyful anticipation that's carrying us through life. And sometimes as Christians, man, we just forget he's coming back. We're just like stuck in this cyclical, man, I just got to go to church. It's boring. I don't like it, but I just got to go to church because that's what I'm supposed to do. But the reality is if you download this truth into your belief system, if you begin to bake that into your worldview, you will in fact have no other choice but to begin your day with joyful anticipation that one day soon the Messiah is coming back and he's going to put all things back together again. Come on, somebody. Come on. Like, right? So yeah, like maybe one day we'll have a party and we'll celebrate something like that because he is, in fact, going to come back. And, but I get it. I get it. You know why it's so hard? It's because life is hard. Life is hard. 
Like we, we, we have all of these things that begin to, we wear coats that are just heavy coats sometimes. And we forget that we're stuck. We're not done. Think the world is going somewhere. And in fact, the Messiah is going to come back and put all things back together again. When I, a few years, I remember when I was like 20, 21, every time I talked to a Christian, I left more depressed. Have you ever been there? Right? Like, why do I like just, I don't like life anymore for some reason. And yet I'm talking to someone who's supposed to be the most hopeful person I've ever met. It's so easy for us to get stuck on these, these realities. But, but when we can bake this understanding like that, that there is a hope that Jesus is coming back, you will have no choice. You will change everything about the circumstances of your life. You will, in fact, begin to change. You will go through pain differently. You will grieve differently. You'll go to work differently. You'll see everything with a slightly different color to it. With a, with a whole, with, you'll actually see more color because you're knowing and understanding that the world is not how it's supposed to be, that Jesus will put it back together again. There's joy. The, the context of this parable is joyful anticipation. And why that matters is because sometimes people use this passage to scare you. They'll say, hey, you better get ready. Jesus is going to come. He's going to come judge you. You know, the reality is there's a part of that that, that, that we'll, we'll get to, but this is supposed to be something joyful that we long for, we can't wait for. We tracking this morning. Right? So the number one, to live well, joyful anticipation. Second, second way to live well in the tension between the resurrection and the return is to wisely order your life. Um, you see these bridesmaids, what they're doing, they, they have oil that you know, their lamps are gonna be, uh, gonna help them celebrate the bridegroom. And uh, they're gonna see the, the return of the bridegroom ready for this new life and celebrating their friend. And, and, and they, they don't have enough. This is a very simple concept that when we live well in this tension, it's about ordering our life well in preparation for the return of Jesus. This is not just about budgeting or not just about making sure you have a healthy schedule, and all, although that's a part of it. This is really, it's, it's about the internals of your life too, making sure you're healthy emotionally and mentally, understand, healthy physically. And we begin to live within the limits that God has created us to live within. We begin to experience life in a much more healthy way. We begin to experience healing and wholeness in a whole new way. So that when God asks us to participate in something, when God asks us to be ready for something, when God asks us to join him in some work, we're actually ready to experience that. You begin to see, okay, God, you've asked me to give my money to something. Okay, but my, my, I don't have it ordered in a way that allows for me to do that. Then I'm going to miss out on the realities of God's kingdom. Sometimes we just struggle with our health or with our mental health, our emotional health. And God has asked us, no, we want to be healthy in all of those areas so that when we begin to participate in the kingdom, we will actually see the results of the kingdom. Some of us, man, we, we come to church. That's great. I'm glad you're here. But this is not the reality of God's kingdom. This is where we come to be shaped and changed and morphed so that we can experience the results of God's kingdom outside of here. And so you are shaped by Christ so that you can experience the results of Christ but it starts when we begin to actually do the things he's asked us to do. When we live life the way that he says is possible to live. You wanna be prepared for the coming of Christ by ordering your life after what the way he said we should order it. And that's how we begin to experience that. And so you have this wise ordering. And the last way to live well between the resurrection and the, ten the tension between the resurrection and the return is to have, understand linear history. 
Now, I know that's the most inspiring point I've ever preached in my life. You're like, so glad. I'm so glad. I was wondering about linear history today. I'm just so glad that the pastor talked about it in church. So inspired when I left here. But we have to realize this. This is a very common, this is a common thing we forget. There's one wedding. Gang, gang, look at me. There's one wedding. History is not circular. There's one wedding that we prepare for. And what what we're saying here is Jesus is coming back. He's returning. And we are preparing for that. We're hopefully anticipating that. But we don't get a second shot at this thing called life. We don't get a second shot at returning here. It's not, you know, sometimes Christians, they they get this understanding from from other belief systems that we could potentially have, you know, some sort of a karma reaction or interaction with the world. But they're just, that's not, the truth here. The truth is we got one line here. There's one wedding and there's one life that we prepare for, the one life that we live. So when you look at your life, is it beginning to look a little bit more like the way God prepared you to live? God, God like wanted you to live. Is it the full life that God has planned for you? And so when you look at, when you look at your life, some, I, you know, I read one, one time, uh, someone uh, talk about this one time. Sometimes the best way, place to make decisions is in a graveyard because, because you need to look at what the dash between your two numbers actually mean. And is it the best type of life because it's the transformed life? It's the Jesus way of life. It's the way of life that God created you to live. There's one wedding. And at the end of the day, there's people inside and there's people outside. And there's a very easy decision to make man, I want to join in on the party. But here's the reality. Sometimes we don't see it as a party. We don't see it as joy. We don't see it as hope. We see it as tasks and we see it as responsibility. We see it as just this, this, this thing to get God off our back. But in all reality, God is asking, inviting you into a way of life that makes sense of your whole life. We don't have this circular understanding of life. There's one wedding. There's one life, and he wants you to live the best way of life possible, but it's the way of life he created you to live, and it's the way of life that you can live only if you're transformed by Jesus. So we want to live well between the tension of his resurrection and his return. Here's Here's the thing. We are very good at coming to church on a weekend and never doing this stuff outside of this, outside of this meeting, meeting space. When we actually begin to practice the practices of the kingdom, we can keep Christ centered in our life. We can keep Christ centered in who we are so that we be consistently can see the results of the kingdom move through us. We can consistently see the results of the kingdom make its way to the surface of our life when we practice the realities of the kingdom, when it's actually a practice for us. Because here's what John 14 says. It's this type of peace. He says this, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Isn't that like the most encouraging thing in the world? Like, I'm leaving you with this gift. I'm gonna give you peace of mind and I'm gonna give you peace of heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. And so again, if you're in here today and you feel like, oh, I'm fine, I'm at peace. Imagine if you had the peace of God. Seriously, I'm, I'm not gonna be the first one to be like, no, you don't have peace. 
No, you, you, do, you probably do have some form of peace, but imagine if you had the peace that God created you to have. What would your life look like? So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. That's Jesus' way of saying, hey, can you take a deep breath? Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. But I want you to help. I want you to live this way. I want you to live well in the tension between my resurrection and my return. I need you to do it by understanding that there's linear history, that he will come back. You don't get a second chance here. That you do have, in fact, a chance to wisely order your life so that you can function and participate fully in that kingdom. And he wants you to do it with joy. This thing is supposed to be awesome. It's supposed to be a party. It's supposed to be a God that's just coming and hanging out with his, with his people so that you can look and change and be more like him. Your life will look completely different if you just give one, God one step today. And so you begin to do that. Now, so what I wanted to do as we close out here, we got a few minutes. And I put a, I put a sheet, our, our team put a sheet on all of your, on all of your uh, seats today. And it's called the rule of life. We've been talking about this the past few weeks. But the rule of life is this. It's a set of disciplines that help you practice the way of Jesus and experience God's kingdom within a certain season. So now I, we gave this to you. There are, there are pens in your seats in front of you. Or maybe you have a pen with you. Or maybe you just want to stare at me for the next few minutes too. That's totally cool. But we want to help you walk through this thing called the rule of life. We want to help you today make some commitments to practicing, to having a practice of God's kingdom. And on the back of this sheet are, um, are on the back of this sheet are different practices that you, can ex- that you can use to fill in those slots. And there's plenty of more, but these are just a few that I put on, I put down for you. But there's other ways that you can practice these things. But there's four directions to God's kingdom. There's worship, there's up, there's, there's praise to God. There's community, which is this reality down on earth. There's rest, which reminds us of our identity in Christ. And then there's mission that moves us forward to see God's kingdom, his reign and his rule continue on on this earth. And so we want you to do is to, in order to keep Christ centered in your life, you really need to practice one thing or so in every one of these boxes so that you can worship, you can connect, you can actually, you have identity and that you can actually make a difference and have a unique contribution to the kingdom. So for the next few minutes, we just want to walk through each one of these and I want you to pick one practice to put in there to say, you know what, this year I'm going to do this to consistently practice the way of Jesus in worship, to consistently practice the way of Jesus in community. So let's start on worship. Worship, there's a few that you can pick from in there. You can listen to sermons, um, maybe from, you know, from, the, from here at the church, or there are other people, other pastors that preach like much, much better than I do. You can, you can listen to them consistently, maybe one a day or so. You can sing, spend some time singing, not just in the shower, right? I know we all, we all have an inner voice in there somewhere, don't we? Maybe feasting. Feasting is when you schedule a practice. You schedule something so that you can delight in God. Um, this, for a season for me in my life, I use feasting to really experience God. And what I would do is I would, I would eat a meal, and I would eat every bite intentionally. <laughs> 
Like every bite, I would slowly eat it. I would eat the, you know, whether it was a, you know, a steak or a whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't easy mac and cheese, although praise God for that, right? I'll praise God publicly for easy mac. But it's, you, you schedule a meal and you eat it intentionally so that, so that you don't say, oh man, what a great meal. You say, oh, what a great God that provided really great food for me to experience him in. Or maybe it's ordinances. Maybe for you today, it's a commitment to be baptized or it's taking communion consistently with your church family. Maybe it's uh, praying the Lord's Prayer. There are ways that you can experience that. So for me, this last year, I've practiced singing um, where I have, I have actually gone through, um, I would just listen to, I'd put Spotify on in, my, in, a, in a headset and I just would sit and, and just slowly and just quietly sing to God. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a doer, like I, I like to do a lot of things and sometimes find my identity and how much I produce. And, um, and so I needed to practice not doing that. It wasn't about reading many books. It wasn't about trying to read the Bible in a year, but it was simply acknowledging the fact that God is great and he's good and he's sovereign over all things. And so I just would spend a lot of time listening to songs. In fact, I would listen to one song over and over and over and over again until it just made its way into my spirit. So worship is this, this acknowledgement that God is sovereign over all things. What is a new worship practice for you this year that you're gonna, that you're gonna use? Maybe it's just for you, it's Sunday attendance. Maybe just you, I'm gonna come every Sunday. Maybe that's your practice this year. Maybe for you, it's I'm gonna catch up on the, the last few sermons or I'm gonna consistently be reminded. But what is that for you? The next part is community because God doesn't want our head in the clouds without having our heads with other people. We connect our hearts with God, and then we connect our hearts with other people. If we have a healthy relationship with God, we are going to see healthy relationships in our life. And so we want to practice community well, having deep relationships to help us enjoy a healthy life. And some ways that you can practice that is, again, by you can come to church on Sundays to kind of see everyone, but joining a group and committing to do life with a group of friends not like, a group of, not like a group of friends that you can go present yourself to, but people that know your struggle, people that know your pain, that know the things that you are interacting with. Maybe for you, it's counseling this year. And you need to you know, you know, get unstuck in a certain area of your life. And you need to actually go see someone uh, to help you figure out why maybe you're not really great at relationships or maybe, you're, maybe you need to help see someone to help you figure out how to have a healthy sense of yourself. Uh, for you, it's, maybe it's confession. For me, this has been a big one for me is actually just acknowledging the fact when I did something wrong or maybe when I'm struggling with something. And you need the practice of, of someone acknowledging that you are, in fact, loved right now. They extend the grace of God to you when you confess to them. And maybe meals, just acknowledging different times where you can just be with people with no agenda but just learning how to have deep relationships with people. What's your community practice this year? God created you to be in deep relationship with people. He created you to be in relationships, whether that's a handful of people that you trust well, or that could be a group, a larger group of people, whatever the case is. What is your community practice this year? The next one is rest. Um, 
rest is this idea that, that our identity is, as a, is, is, is at rest as a child of God. And so we take time to say our, our identity is not in what we produce, it's in who we are in Christ. And so some practices that you can do is solitude. Um, if, you, if you've never practiced solitude, this is like literally practice sitting in silence for 15 minutes in the morning. I started this a while ago and it's very hard at first, but it's taking time to just sit in silence. And you, you, you think about your breathing, you think about God, you close your eyes and you allow him to do his work in you. For you, maybe it's a Sabbath. Um, as Americans, we're very good at thinking that we make the world revolve. Not, not so much that we make the world revolve around us, although we're pretty good at that too. But, but many times we think that we, if we work really hard, we'll make the world spin. But guess who makes everything happen? God does. And what Sabbath invites you into is, is resting in the fact that he makes the world spin, not you. And so you need a day a week. Man, some of you in here are in that spot where you think, man, I need to work really, really hard and make sure all this stuff happens. But you know what? Sometimes you need to rest in Christ, knowing that he's got it, that he can do it, not you. So maybe that's taking a day a week to delight in God's creation. Maybe it's a taking a vacation that you haven't taken in forever. You keep saying, someday, someday. There's prayer. Uh, there's reading the scriptures and memorizing it. There's inventory, taking an inventory of your life. But what's your rest practice gonna be? Maybe it's a consistent Sabbath for the first time in your life. Maybe it's, it's, uh, it's actually sitting in quietness, spending time with God in chair time in the morning. Now, we can be really good at all, you know, three out of four of these two, but this last one here is mission. Mission is this invitation to participate in God's mission in the world. And so what is your unique contribution to the kingdom of God? Some of you, it might be creating community. Some of it might be just creating worship engagements, worship environments. For others, it might be uh, doing some sort of thing out in the world where you're consistently helping people see the, the, the realities of God in your life and, and the realities of God in the world. But there's a few different practices that you can do. The first one could be working. And this one is, is, looking, is, is making an intentional decision to see your employment as a way for God to work in the world. That you're not there just to collect a paycheck, but you're there to actually spread the reign and rule of God in the world. You're there to connect with other people. You're there to show the love of God to others. If you, I promise, if you go to work tomorrow morning with that new understanding that my mission in the world is to participate with God in my workplace, you will never go to work the same way. You won't wish Friday's coming, although sometimes we do, right? Sometimes we do. But you won't wish Friday's coming because you see the mission of God actively taking place in the world. It could be serving. If you, you, know, if you don't find that in, your, in that type of life in your employment, maybe it's finding a way to serve. You don't get paid, just go acknowledge the, the realities of God and the rewards of God, the results of God right in the world by serving somewhere. Could be in the church, could be somewhere else. 
Maybe for you, it's creating something. God has given you a passion or a, or a drive to solve a problem in the world, and he wants the kingdom of God to, to be at work within you to see this problem resolved. Something my, my wife and I were talking about this week was, you know, someday is not a day. It's not a Monday, it's not a Tuesday, it's not a Wednesday. Someday is not a day. And sometimes, some of us in here, in your heart, you have something that you're saying someday to. And God doesn't want it to be someday anymore. He's given it to you to act on. So maybe that's your practice. So what is your missional practice this year? I'm going to serve or I'm going to go to work differently. Maybe I'm going to put, release something into the world that God has given me a passion for. What is that practice for you? And if you practice this, if you practice these things, you can switch these up different times throughout the year. You can practice this for a full year. You can, you know, maybe do a few weeks at a time. But the goal is you want to, God wants to have a relationship with you. And he, these practices will help you realize the realities of the kingdom in your life consistently, keeping Christ at the center of your life. And when you do that, you'll begin to see the rewards of the kingdom of God. You'll begin to see the the realities and the results of God's kingdom consistently. Look, gang, there's, there's many things that you can do this year, but there's only one person that you can be. Be the person that God created you to be. And you'll see the, the, you'll see the results of the kingdom consistently in your life.